restoration. It does nothing to really move us forward, this fantasy of revenge. So, so we need to learn about sorry. We can take a cue from the Canadians on this. As many of you know, I spent eight years church planting in Canada before I came here, and Canada has taken sorry to a whole nother level. I, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, everything about Canada is sorry this and sorry that. I mean, whenever I first moved there, I'd have conversations with people, and they'd be like, oh, you, you sound like you're not from here, like you have an accent. I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm from America, and they'd be like, oh, sorry about that. So... No, it's just a, that's a Canada joke there. But, but like, they just have, like, they just have this sorry just sort of in their vernacular. It's in their DNA. Um, a lot of times it's just words. There isn't a lot of substance to it. But I think it does sort of set the ground for having a disposition towards apologies when they're necessary towards forgiveness, as we're going to get into, unlike many people, and this would go for the Canadians, for Americans, for people, because people are people around the world, we actually have a culture that some have titled more like the law of Lamech. Lamech is this character in the Bible. He appears in the fourth chapter of Genesis, almost right out of the gate, and his statement that we're going to read in just a moment, we only have seven verses about this guy, but, but this statement from him just sort of encapsulate the mindset that so many of us are locked into. And here's how it goes. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zilha, listen to me. He, he's also our first uh, um, uh, realization that people are already straying from the plan of God in this fallen world, and they're practicing polygamy, and this had to mess him up, and all this kind of stuff. So he has this situation then. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. We, we don't know what happened to Lamech. We just know that he was wronged. He was injured. It may have been a physical injury. It may have been a financial injury injury. Something was taken from him that belonged to him. It may have been an, an emotional or relational injury. Maybe it encapsulated all, all of these things, but he was wounded, and for that he killed. We, there's this expression, of course, and it comes from the Bible, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's as if Lamech says, that's, that's child's play. <laughs> eye for eye, tooth for tooth. No, 77 eyes for my eye, 77 teeth for one of my tooth. A man has wounded me, and I have killed him. And that is the law that so many of us have been stuck living by. So we need to learn this word, sorry. Now, as we get into the word sorry, we're going to learn this, biblically speaking. The, the Bible doesn't talk so much about being sorry. That's actually our adaptation for our time and our culture. We, we offer apologies, and we usually begin them with sorry, the recognition that somebody has done something wrong, we've misbehaved or mis... you know, so we just have this sorry apology. Biblically speaking, biblically speaking, we talk a lot about forgiveness, and forgiveness is a big deal, of course, in the Bible. Forgiveness, of course, is essential in the Bible. If not for forgiveness, then we cannot experience salvation and experience life in the family of God. 
what we learn is that forgiveness is required. The Bible will talk about it as repentance or confession, that we need to go to God and we need to ask for forgiveness from our sins, from how our lives have been misdirected, from our lives have fallen off of the path, and the way we get back on the path, the way we get realigned with God, the way that we experience salvation is through asking for and receiving this gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And then we, as the people of God, are to become agents, ambassadors, extending this forgiveness. And in fact, for many of us, we know we have a daily, I would hope, prayer that would take us back to the Lord's Prayer and to use each of these as kind of a springboard for deeper thought or reflection or prayers. But we pray, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and we are reminded daily, forgive us our debts, or forgive us our trespasses, or forgive us our sins, depending on your translation, as we forgive those who sin against us, or those who've trespassed against us, or those who have become debted to us. And so we need to be reminded regularly that just as we have received a forgiveness that brings life to us, so we must become agents of a forgiveness that can bring life to others. Why don't we jump right into our text? Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, is going to pick up for us on this idea of this law of Lamech and how Jesus is going to begin undoing the fall, undoing the sin, righting the wrongs, setting things back on course. And so we're going to pick up in this conversation that Jesus has the direct overtones of undoing this law of Lamech and inviting us to this gift of forgiveness. And so here's how it starts. Verse 15, chapter 18, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Ouch, harsh. Truly I tell you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? And here we catch these direct overtones, and we're going to finish the story in a moment. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Before we begin to break that down a little bit, I find it interesting that this verse that we so often go to as the body of Christ, where two or three gather in my name, I am there, actually comes from the context of this passage. We rightly invoke and remember this promise in many contexts, when we gather and sing, when we bow our heads to pray, whenever we come together collectively to read God's Word and study His laws and His commands and His decrees and align our lives up, God is there. But contextually, this go-to verse 
happens through the process of seeking reconciliation. More specifically, of course, something wrong has been done. There's a grievance. Uh, there's something that's gone astray, and, and, and people in the body of Christ are willing to confront it. That, there's a, there's a, the hard grace, the hard love of confrontation, but it's in this context of people caring enough about having right relationships in the body of Christ and not brushing things under the carpet or just simply walking away and saying, I'm done with that person or that community or forever, but saying we are going to love people enough to go into this situation. When you go into those hard confrontations, those hard situations, those difficult times, I'm going to show up. That's where I'm going to show up. You can be assured when you do this in my name for this process, this hope, this dream of reconciliation, for the blessing of another, as hard as this might be, that's where you're going to experience me, perhaps most powerfully, at work in and through your lives. And so, what we have here is some steps in this process of offering an apology or seeking an apology for the end of reconciliation. And it may seem a bit trivial, it may seem a bit elementary, but because it is so hard for us to say the words, I'm sorry, we should go through this process kind of point by point. Seven steps that I took from breaking this down, and others have noted as well. Seven steps. If there is conflict, if there is sin, maybe we should just kind of recast this as when. <laughs> Give people enough time living in life together, brushing shoulders, at home, at work, in the community, or in the context of being the church, the body of Christ. Some disagreements, some conflicts are going to arise when that happens, you, you don't wait for the other person. When you recognize something is wrong, when you realize there is a debt, there is a trespass, there is a sin, there is something that's growing between you, you allow the onus to fall upon yourself and to say, I will do something about this. And what do you do? It says very clearly, you go. <laughs> you inconvenience yourself. You take the time out of your schedule, out of your day, out of your busy work life. You take the time to be the one to go, even if the wrong has been committed against you. You go to the person. You don't go to another person and talk about it. Not even couching it in, I want to process this through with you so I can get... We, 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 we can justify all kinds of things, right? Go directly to the person. You go in private. And here, you go for the purpose of talking, for listening. You don't go with your agenda. You don't go with your argument. You don't go with... How, how many times have we spent hours, days, maybe weeks crafting the perfect argument, the perfect letter that will explain why we are so right and they are so wrong. No, no. Go to listen. Go to talk and do this all for the process of reconciliation. As we think about the power of apologies in our lives and the power that this could have in our community, it's truly it's truly amazing, but it's never easy. 
I mean, it's never easy, which is why we have to talk about it, why we have to address it. We have, again, this, this fantasy that the people that have wronged us will come groveling to us, you know, crawling hand and knee, tears streaming down their face. Oh, George, I've been so wrong. I haven't been volunteering at the church the way that I should or whatever it might be. You know, we have these fantasies of, of how people will come to us just weeping, and ready to reconcile it, and we can sort of lord it over them, and then when we feel ready, we can dispense the great of forgiveness, you know. <laughs> but it just doesn't happen that way most of the time. If it ever does, praise be to God if somebody recognizes wrong and comes to you. But the very context of this is when you recognize that a wrong has been done, even if it's been done to you, and you are the one that put yourself out to go to the other person because you say, I don't want to let this problem live between the two of us. Imagine if people would practice this more often in life. I mean, some, I, I think it is providential that we're talking about this coming into the holiday season. I mean, in what, it's less than two weeks we're going to be at Thanksgiving, and a couple weeks after that we'll be at Christmas, and we'll be at New Year's. So right now, plans are being made to get together as family and to celebrate. But I know plans are also being made right now maybe to avoid certain family members. Plans are being made how you will go around certain situations. Imagine if we, the people of Christ, the body of Christ, had the courage just to say, as, long, as far as it depends on me, I'm not willing to bury this, ignore this, go around this anymore, but I'm going to try and do something about this debt, this sin, this trespass that has come between us. And I, kn and I know, I mean, this is the reason we're talking about it, we're pausing, we're talking about it, we're praying about it, we're going to the Bible to learn about it, because it's, I mean, it's not easy. I mean, there are people in this room you have estranged relationships with your parents because of things that they did or things that they didn't do. Some of us have had parents that have done awful things, have said awful things, and have created deep, deep wounds in our lives. Some of our wounds come from things that just weren't done, parents that just weren't there, parents that didn't give words of affirmation, parents that didn't build into our lives, Parents that weren't just there for us the way that a parent should be there for us. Some of us as children need to recognize at some point in our lives, we were horrible kids. <laughs> we made our parents' lives miserable. We caused our parents to go to bed weeping night after night after night by behaviors. It's not easy to confront these things. But imagine what your family life could have been like or would be like if you had a parent who just came to you and said, I'm sorry. I was doing the best that I could, but it wasn't good enough. And I said some things that were awful. And I just want to talk about that now. Or I just didn't do anything. And that was wrong. And I want to address that now. Imagine if you would go to a parent and just say again, I recognize the nights that I heard you weeping because of things that I was doing. And I didn't make it easy for you. Can we talk about this? Can we address this? Can we forgive this and move forward? Imagine what your family life, imagine what your life, imagine what life could be like if we'd have some of those conversations. Let's read the rest of the story here and then break it down a little bit so we can learn some more things about forgiveness. After Jesus says, undoing the law of Lamech, 
not seven times, Peter, but 77 times. He goes into a story. I'm just going to read, the, read this story. We're going to talk about it a little bit. Got some things I want to end with, so just, just, you know, pay attention here for Jesus' words. They're pretty good. <laughs> Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And that's sort of equivalent to economics today. That's a lot of money, 10,000 bags. Of, I mean, that just, that's just an astronomical amount of money. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, which would also again today be kind of equivalent. It's like not insignificant, but we can handle that. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will repay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And here's the verse that we don't want to read. This is the verse that we wish got eliminated at some point <laughs> during the translation of the Bible. And yet it is here for us to recognize these words of Jesus, the severity of forgiveness, the importance of our practice of what has been extended to us through God. This is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Ouch, hard words of Jesus. Here's what forgiveness is not, according to this passage. Forgiveness is not excusing. The master doesn't excuse the debt. He confronts the debt. He faces the debt. He's not, you know, we excuse children for behaving like children. We excuse children for having tantrums when they're babies. We, we, we excuse the driver who cuts us off and we honk the horn and they, you know, we, we excuse behaviors that are accidental and largely incidental, that don't have consequences or impact beyond the moment itself. We can excuse many behaviors, and in fact, we are in the practice of excusing a lot of behaviors. Forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness has to go something deeper. Forgiveness is also not forgetting, according to this passage. Nobody has forgotten the debts. And while the Bible talks about the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ is as if things have been forgotten, cast into the ocean, remembered no more, what we know is those are beautiful word pictures and images for us to have the assurance that the sins that we commit against God are forgiven and not will be and will not be brought up and remembered to be used against us anymore but forgiveness isn't forgiving in fact forgiveness is required when forgetting is impossible 
when you will not be able to forget what happened or what you did or what has been done. And we can't forget some of the atrocities and the tragedies that have befallen us or others. Forgiving is not forgetting. Forgetting, forgiving is, is not excusing. And forgiving is not always reconciling. We're not required by the Bible to always reconcile. As much as it is in your court, the Bible will say, live at, be reconciled and live at peace with one another. But it isn't always on us, and we are not always able to reconcile all situations. So what is forgiving? I think according to this passage and according to the life and the witness that we have through Jesus Christ, three things emerge that I just want to address quite quickly here. Forgiveness is then giving up our perceived right. We'll put it that way. Forgiveness is giving up our perceived right to get even. God decided to not get even with us, but to extend forgiveness to us. God decided to no longer hold our sins against us and to not hold us into account for the grievances that He could levy against us. So forgiveness is deciding at some point in your life, in the context of a relationship that you have with your parent, with your child, with your spouse, with a friend, with a coworker, with a fellow church member, I will give up the right to try and make this debt even. Forgiveness then goes a little bit deeper. Then you begin to see the person as Jesus sees them. Jesus had the remarkable ability to never characterize and classify people by their sins. The way that we talk it so often is we demonize people. When someone has done something wrong against us, we only see them through that lens of that lie that they told, uh, of that deception that they perpetuated. Uh, of that action that they took that cost us so differently, and we begin to see them only through that lens, and we demonize them. They can only ever do all wrong, all evil, no good. They are conspiring nefariously to do wicked things ever and always, and the fact of the matter is that very few of us are that person. I mean, there are truly wicked, evil people, but most people simply make mistakes, <laughs> that can and should be forgiven if we're willing to see them as Jesus sees them. And then finally, forgiveness moves us to that place where we're not just giving up our perceived right to uh, get even with somebody, seeing them as Jesus sees them, but then being willing to bless them, to want the best for them, to want goodness for them, to want them to be freed from this grievance that we committed against them or that they may have committed against us, and to say we can move past this and live into blessing in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and move forward as the body of Christ. And friends, when we do that, the reconciled relationship is almost always so much better than the one that even came before. Friends, it is whenever we recognize the debt of sin that is held against us and the forgiveness that we have through Jesus Christ that our hearts overflow and the tears pour out and the joy is raised up to God because when we recognize how we have been forgiven and the life that we have then in Jesus Christ, that our reconciled relationship with God through Jesus Christ takes us to a whole nother level, right? And whenever we recognize that we can work through hard things with people, the reconciled relationship can be that much stronger because Jesus has met us there 
and has truly begun to bind us together as the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.23 puts it this way, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God has forgiven you. We always go back to remembering and reminding ourselves that just as we have been forgiven, so we offer and extend forgiveness to others. On this, Anne Lamott wrote this. So I'm just going to kind of read this quote from Anne Lamott because I'm running out of time and I got some other things I want to deal with here. Anne Lamott wrote this, and I, and I love this from her book, Traveling Mercies. I went around for a long time saying I was not one of the Christians who is heavily into forgiveness, that I am one of the other kind. But even though that was actually true, it started to become too painful to stay that way. In fact, what I learned, she wrote, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. I cherished resentment and bitterness because I wanted to hurt the rat that caused my pain. But after resentment and bitterness had festered long enough, I found out that the rat, after all, is me. And then she writes, don't forgive and the anger will become your burden. Don't forgive and bit by bit all the joy will be choked out of your life. Don't forgive and you will be unable to trust anyone ever again. Don't forgive and the bitterness will crowd compassion out of your heart. Don't forgive and that little grudge will grow and grow until you become the monster itself. I don't like talking about sorry, because I'm one of those Christians who doesn't like to be in forgiveness either. <laughs> Her words just ring so true, because sorry is so hard, and yet when you live with resentments and grievances for so long, you realize it's no way to live, and you have to choose another path and you have to choose the way of Jesus. As I wrestled with this, as I wrestled how to communicate the importance of forgiveness, I was reminded of Johnny Cash. <laughs> Who here is a Johnny Cash fan? Amen. All right, I, I, I knew I was going to pander to the audience going to Johnny Cash. Who doesn't like Johnny Cash? Toward the end of his life, Johnny began to release a series of albums, and a lot of them uh, covers, in, in fact, that just told the story of his life. And if there's anybody who lived a life where he did wrong and wrongs were committed against him, you, you could arguably put Johnny Cash towards the top. He did awful things and admitted to them. And he had awful things done to him. So I want you to watch this video. Give yourself three minutes and watch this video of one of the last songs Johnny Cash ever recorded. It's the song Hurt that was originally written by Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails. Try to change. 
over. By the way, if you're crying, that's a perfectly legitimate and normal response to that video and reflect upon his life. Over and over again, he sings that refrain, I have made you hurt. He is the one who has caused so much hurt. He is the one he recognizes has caused so much pain. He is the one who has driven so many people that have loved him out of his life because for his whole life he wrestled with saying, I'm sorry, with extending and receiving forgiveness. But then he ends the song with this way, If I could start again, I would find a way. My friends, my word to you this morning is the word of Jesus Christ, and it is that there is a way. There is a way to heal the hurt. There is a way to heal the brokenness. There is a way to find reconciliation, and it is the way of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who can provide the way to heal our hurts and to bind us together because when we were lost and dead in our sins, when we were the ones who were far from God, God did not wait for us to turn and to come groveling back to Him. And He didn't wait because He knew it could never and would never happen. So while we were yet sinners, God came to us in Jesus Christ and paid the debt for us to be reconciled to Him. Will you absorb the cost? Maybe this Thanksgiving, maybe this Christmas season, maybe before the end of the year, you will be the one who will follow the way of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to cancel the debt, to see people as Christ sees them, to bless them as Christ wants to bless each and every one of his children and to become the minister of forgiveness and reconciliation. As I invite our worship team to come back up and to lead us in some song, I recognize that I'm ending heavy today. And it's okay to end a worship service sometimes on a heavy note because this is a heavy topic. This is a heavy subject. But to not address this and to not to go here, the cost is simply too much because it has been and it is costing some of you some of your deepest and most dear relationships that you could be living into. A relationship with someone that you've been estranged from. A parent, a child, a friend, a loved one, a spouse. So we're going to do some heart work right now. We're going to do some introspection and some prayer. And I invite you to consider how forgiveness might need to be worked out in and through your life in the coming days and weeks before this series ends, before we move into the new year. Start with a clean slate, a fresh beginning. As you have been forgiven, so offer forgiveness. As our debt has been canceled, as our trespasses have been forgotten, so you too must cancel the debt, forgive the trespass, let go of the sin, let go of the grudge that has had a grip on your heart and has been holding you back from the blessing that Jesus wants to pour out in your life. Let me say a prayer, and then we're going to worship God. Heavenly Father, my prayer this morning is not for everyone. Well, maybe it is for everyone, because maybe everybody here is wrestling with some area of forgiveness in a relationship and in their own life. But for the one who this day has brought to
to heart and to mind the realization that just as we have been forgiven in Jesus Christ, so we must extend forgiveness to others. May you build the resolve and the will and give them the spirit of power that they need. And may you bring forgiveness into their life. It may not mean excusing it. It may not mean forgetting it. It may not even mean reconciling the relationship. But forgiveness needs to wash over them so that they can live in the fullness of the life of living as your forgiven son or daughter. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.